It's one thing to have a great bow. It is another thing to have a great bow and a great arrow go with it. That is what my guest Kyle Davidson is going to explain to us today on the Bryantland Show. He is the proprietor of DCA Custom Arrows in Indiana, and he's going to tell us how he mixes engineering, ingenuity, and a lot of creativity into building some of the best arrows in the archery world today. The Bryantland Show starts as soon as those good folks hit my music. Stone Mountain, Georgia. This is the Bryant Land Show, hosted by proud Gamecock and South Carolinian AB3. A well-tuned arrow is more accurate than just an expensive arrow. That is the words that is all over the website of Kyle Davidson from DCA Custom Arrows. Kyle that is absolutely true. Thank you for taking the time to come to the show, man. How are you? No problem, man. I really appreciate you having me on. Uh, I am great. I'm living at home, sheltered at home, like everybody else, uh, doing the day, day job, uh, working at home and helping the kids with their e-learning. And it's a tough time. It's a crazy time, but I think things are starting to lighten up, and I'm happy about that. Get back out to the range, get back outside. I know that's right. It, it's crazy because we've had to make all kinds of adjustments and stuff. And those of us that are blessed and fortunate to be able to work from home, I mean, it's been great. But I don't know about you. There's part of me that, especially for somebody <laughs> like me that travels for a living, like I am itching to get back out and, you know, get get going again, man. Yeah, absolutely. I uh you know, there's only so much you could do from home, and I I am lucky to be one of the ones that can work from home. I feel really bad about the people that that can't do that, um, but man, I can't wait to to be able to get back in the office, see some friends from the office, and be able to work on some projects that are just easier to do face to face. But I think it it has brought everybody's you know kind of a vision that we can do things for remotely, and hopefully. Uh, we'll be able to do that and uh, allow more people to spend some time with their families. That'd be nice. Yeah. Those, those, those that for a while have been saying like, no, no, you can't work from home. We need you here in the office and stuff. I think if if one good tangible thing that comes out of this is that a lot of people I think are going to be working from home from now on, which in a way is a good thing because if you're an archer, it makes it easy for you know that range if you got one at the house it makes it easy for that lunchtime range time does it not yes it does or you know working remotely is just working remotely it doesn't say where so you know if you could get a range that has a good wi-fi signal i'm just saying (laughs) that is very true that is is very true so let me fill everybody in or as i like to say smarten them up you have built or have built, I should say, two sets of arrows for me. You have also built numerous sets for all kind of people from 
athletes to everyday Joes, a couple of podcasters, actually more than a couple of podcasters. So you got a lot of arrow builds under your belt. Like I said, you did two sets for me. I love mine. I'm going to get a third set done Mm -hmm. uh, coming up here soon. But what made you want to take, and you're a mechanical engineer, what made you take what you know as a mechanical engineer and apply it to building arrows yeah so i i kind of got into it uh myself and uh one of my best friends uh tj eads who owns uh rack hub it's like an antler mounting system it's really interesting uh google that's cool we were working on our project together we were both working at the same company and at the time i was shooting pistols and rifles and modifying them and I, I can't shoot very far where I'm at uh, without driving pretty good distance. So I was shooting a hundred yards with the, you know, my AR or my 308 or, you know, even a pistol and it was fun, but it, it was, I don't want to say it was boring, but if you want to get really accurate, you have to get into hand loading. And then that was just a, a path I, I didn't really want to get into. And when I was working on it, TJ had talked to me about archery and, uh, my experience with archery was in middle school when you draw a bow back and, you know, the arrow falls off the rest and it comes unknocked and, you know, it's a mess. <laughs> right, right. Uh, that was my impression of it. And I, he was like, you should try, because he knew how much I tinkered with all the my rifles and pistols and everything. And he was like, you would love this. You would love this. He told me and told me and told me. And I finally, he was like, I have a bow, take it. You will love this. And, uh, he said, go to a a pro shop, you know, get kind of fitted with it and, uh, shoot it. You'll love it. And I was like, all right, whatever. And so I took it, went to the bow shop. I kind of, kind of got fitted for it and then, uh, shot some arrows. And I was like, yep, sign me up. (laughs) (laughs) And I honestly haven't ever looked back. So, uh, but it it is kind of how I got into, uh, tuning arrows as well. So like you mentioned, I'm a mechanical engineer. Um, my whole life has been in R and D. So when I was in high school, I raced go-karts with my dad. And, uh, if we, my dad was a tool and die maker. And if I wanted anything for the cart, like if we had an idea about a tool or something we could use on the cart, I would draw it up and I would draw it up on a, a Crayola like slide rule with a paper and a pencil. And, uh, that was it. And I was in, at this time I was like 15 or something and, uh, not to date myself, but CAD wasn't really around at that point, at least in, in great, great numbers or for home use. And so, um, that's what I would do. And then I, I would kind of design something up and then he would take it to work or he would tell me what was wrong with it. You know, you're missing a dimension. You need this, you need that. And, uh, then all the guys at work loved working on it because, you know, they knew what I did and what it was going to be used for. And so we'd make parts of the go-kart and all that stuff. So I started an R and D then, and then I never left. So um, and when you I, when when you say R and D, I'm sorry to cut you off, but when you say R and D, that what what is R and D? Uh, research and development. So every well, not every company, but a lot of companies have uh, kind of a lab where um, new products are developed. Um, so basically, what I do kind of right now is somebody will come into our group with a napkin sketch or just a description. I want a thing that does this mm-hmm. and and they just give me the napkin sketch and it's up to me. And, uh, you know, if it involves the electronics and I involve some of the electronics guys and we basically make the part. So wow. it goes from a napkin sketch, you know, uh, prototypes through rapid prototyping or 
you know, prototype machining or prototype tools, plastic parts, electronics, whatever we need. And we just dive into it. And that requires a lot of times, a lot of research to figure out, you know, we know how to do this part, but we don't know how to do this other part of it. And so we'll really hone in on that, do the research, figure out what we need to do, talk to suppliers, uh, get parts in all that kind of stuff and, and build something with it and make something. So, uh, yeah, it, it's, it's all R and D is all I've done pretty much my entire life. I have somewhere around 20 patents, I think, I think. Man. Trying to remember, I don't know. I th- I think I, well, no, don't short yourself because I'm, I'm pretty sure when I was looking at your website, it said thirty. It, it could be. I <laughs> honestly. Uh, so no, don't, don't pat- short yourself. <laughs> <laughs> the patent process is weird because when you start it, you get like a provisional patent, and then you get there's different stages of it, and I just don't know what stage everything is in, so I don't know if everything's assigned yet. That's the the weird part of it. But in any case, so. Um, you know, studying a problem and figuring out what the real problem is, limiting the variables in a test and uh, making sure that I'm honing down to test the right uh, variables, you know, that kind of stuff. My example of that is like, you know, if you if you paint a car red, it might not go faster. But if you put a supercharger on it, it will go faster for sure. <laughs> right. <And> so <laughs> and when you're uh, working on a, a more complicated problem that that isn't always as obvious as it is in that example. And so you have to do a lot of research to figure out what affects what. And that's really what I did. So uh, I got the bow from TJ. Um, I ended up buying it from him. Uh, I gave him money for it. I don't know if he actually sold it to me. I more stole it and gave him money for it. (laughs) (laughs) I'm uh, taking this. Here's what I'm giving you for it. (laughs) Yes, exactly. (laughs) But I paid him back since then. He has a few of my, a few sets of arrows from me. But anyway, so I, uh, I started shooting. I took the arrows that I had re- initially initially got from the um, the bow shop, and you know they just looked at my draw length and they grabbed the, the arrows that were you know 40 pounds to 70 pounds, and uh, they said, "Here you go." And out the door I went, and I started shooting them. And as I uh, started shooting and really got into it, uh, I started getting you know holding steadier, getting more consistent with my anchoring point, just more consistent with my shot process but I wasn't getting the results that I thought that I should, you know, I'd been looking a little bit online and seeing people shoot tight groups. And I right. was like, I know I'm not that good, but I know I'm better than this. And so then I started, you know, getting into more reading everything I could listening to everything I could mm-hmm. just taking all the information in that I could, and then listening for what repeats that's kind of, you know, with my day job, that's how you figure things out. It's, you read one thing and you read something else and you read something else. And if two of the things say one thing, the other one says it doesn't, then that's the part you focus on. And I just took all the information in that I could. And as I'm taking this information in, I would go to the range and actually, you know, shoot and, and try different things out, try different point weights, try different spines, different shaft links, uh, that kind of stuff. And luckily it's not terribly expensive to get into that. I mean, if whatever you're shooting right now, if you wanted to get some 75 grain points and some 125 grain points, assuming you just have a hundred now and go shoot them, uh, shoot, you know, get three on three, three on one, three on three more and three on another three, shoot them and see which group comes better. And that's a lot of what I did initially. And then I would write my, I would write programs to kind of, or math equations to figure out what was working and what wasn't and writing stuff down. And like I said, it's what I do in my day job. So go through and figure out what variables were affecting and, and 
what was working and what wasn't. And then once I started doing that, I started shooting much, much tighter groups and being able to ask better questions about how something is done. And, you know, once I, once I got to that point, uh, I would be talking to TJ and he'd just be like, I, I don't know what you're talking about. Uh, so. <laughs> Cause he, he's more yeah. of just a straight on archer where you've got, you know, you've gone in with all the numbers and the formulas and stuff and coming back with uh, specific calculations. Yeah. And he was just like, I, I don't know what you're talking about. And so uh, I, I kept doing that and kept working on it and getting the equations better. And, you know, it was just, uh, uh, it was just something that I enjoyed doing. And I really had no interest in, in getting or starting my own business. Uh, but I, I built a couple sets for TJ and then a, a few for some of his friends. And then uh, it was like, uh, he was like, you should, you should do this for a living or not for a living, but for a job. Uh, and I was like, I, you know, I don't know if this is a thing. And he was like, where would you go buy arrows? And I was like, I, I don't know. Exactly. Because, and that's, that's what I was thinking. Cause like when I was reading and you, you know, you were saying, you know, like you go into a bow shop sometimes and you know, you say like, okay, this is my draw weight this is what I'm shooting or whatever. And then they basically go and they dig in the box or you go and you grab a box and you look at the chart that comes with the bow or comes with the, Mm -hmm. uh, the box of arrows. And then you just kind of go out the door. You revolutionized that a little bit by just saying, Hey, there's more to this here. It's not just a one size fits all uh, one size fits all kind of deal. Like let's, you know, narrow it down and make something out of it. Yeah. And especially, I mean, uh, this is what people do for their passion and this is what people, they, they take animals lives with and they, but it's something they enjoy doing. So it's a serious thing. And it's like, you know, spend some money on, on the things that you really enjoy doing, not just the things you have to buy, you know? Um, so yeah, it's, it is very interesting to me when I see people buy, you know, a handful of arrows. And I think that that's still a decent way to get started. It's a good way to, you know, go out, shoot, lose a few arrows, you're not going to cry about losing a lot of money. But at, at some point when you're ready to take the next step or you have a, you know, the big hunt, the once in a lifetime hunt coming up, that's when you should look at uh, really taking a serious look at it. I mean, people spend $1,200, $1,500 on a bow. And then on top of that, you have a, a site, you have a release, you have quiver, you have clothes, you have da, 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 da. And it's right. just, you're spending a lot of money on this stuff. And in the end of it, um, spending some money on the part that's actually going to make contact with the animal or the target. You know, if it's, I think that, uh, that's something that people don't spend a lot of money on and it's, it's interesting to me, but, uh, like you said, that, <laughs> right. like you said at the beginning, uh, an expensive arrow I've shot in competitions with guys that shot really expensive arrows that were really out of tune. And, uh, I beat them with very modestly priced bow and a very modestly priced set of arrows. And it was just because of the tune of the arrow. It's, it is super important. So when you got when you got your bow from TJ, and then you started mm-hmm. shooting it and stuff. One other thing too, before I go into the competition, that I find yeah. interesting. I know for me, I'm a tinkerer by nature, yeah. <laughs> and I always feel like bows are the worst thing for a tinkerer to get in get mixed in with because 
they really bows are really finicky to me. It's like yes. if you adjust one thing, then it can throw everything outside of whack. And it's like, okay, like I'm just going to adjust, you know, my sight, or I'm just going to mm-hmm. adjust a cam or just, you know, whatever part of the bow, but whatever yeah. adjustment you make, it affects like the rest of the bow. So as a tinker, it would almost be the worst thing to want to tinker with unless you nosedive in it to it kind of like how you did and embrace the yeah. whole thing. Absolutely, man. It, I, people ask me about it and they're like, you know, my, my friends that don't know really what I do, they think I'm just crazy. Uh, they ask <laughs> about the bow. And, <laughs> well, they see me in here late at night. Uh, I mean, I'm up till midnight or one pretty much every single night working on arrows. And uh, it's, you know, they, they just, they think of me as the crazy archer guy and, uh, they asked me about bows though. And I, the best thing I could compare it to is like a guitar. I mean, if you're, if you mess with anything on that guitar, it throws the string out of tune. And I mean, you can adjust your stabilizers and you might have to readjust your bow. It's crazy how much it affects it. Yeah. I, uh, but yeah, I look it, it at is a, interesting. <laughs> I look at accessories all the time for my bow and you know, whether it be like strings or like something will come out and I'm like, Oh, that'll look great on my bow or, you know, whatever. And the first question that I always ask is, do I have to recite my bow? If I have yeah. to recite my bow, then <laughs> I'm done with it. Cause it's like, I got it sighted in it shoot it. And I think if you remember, I'm, I'm almost positive. You probably don't remember, but I think the first conversation we had and we started talking about arrows and I told you what I had and you were like, Oh, well I can do this and make it better. And I can do that and make it better. And I'm just like, wait a minute. Do I have to recite this thing after oh, yeah. I get yeah. this stuff from you? Because it's like, I got it. I got it where I want it. And if I can add and do stuff without reciting it, then I'm good. But if I got to start from scratch and recite this thing, it makes me think two and three times before I make that purchase. Yeah, it's it's a tough call. But I, I know, you know, like you said, you're a tinkerer. And as soon as you get something, you know, set and you're like, yeah, these are the arrows. This is the setup. The first thing you're going to do is be like, man, I wonder if, I wonder if I added a couple pounds to my draw. If that would... <laughs> <laughs> or I wonder if I could stretch my draw out about a half inch. I, I bet I could, and you do it. You know, it's like, yep. like you said, it's a it's a horrible thing because there's so many things you can tinker with, but it's also why it's fun too. You know, you're you're never I've never been bored. I mean, I I go to the range and I'll shoot for three or four hours at a time, and and I'm mad when I have to leave. Like usually I leave when uh, either it's too dark to shoot or, you know, my, my wife has called three or four times and she's like, are you, are you ever coming home? Right. <laughs> but I just love being out there and there's always, even when there's nothing to test, because I, I do a lot of testing. I test a ton of veins and I test, uh, broadheads and, uh, field points. And I not only just different types of veins, but the angle of the veins and et cetera, et cetera, number of veins, all that stuff. Um, and it's, it's super fun and I love doing it, but every now and then I'll just go and shoot, you know, just to just shoot and I'll still be there for like three or four hours. It's just a, it's an obsession for sure. Nah, I, I do the same thing in my yard. Like I'll go and I got a good, uh, I got a solid 30 
in my driveway now, but it's flat, mm -hmm. you know, right. it's flat footed. So I'll shoot, yeah. you know, 30 yards, I'll shoot 20, then I'll just step in like between 20 and 30 and just pick a spot without ranging it and then just kind of, you know, shoot. And then I got all my 3D targets. So it's like, you know, last, last light, you know, time to go home, big buck <laughs> walks out. Like, you know, you go through all the scenarios, yeah, yeah. then I, like I, I got a, a, a stool. Two seconds left in the game. Yeah, yeah you know, it, exactly. <laughs> it's like, who, yeah. who, who are you going to be here? You know, this is, this is it. It's fourth quarter, last uh -huh. light. Here comes that buck you've been waiting all night for. Mosquitoes been eating you alive. It's like let's let's do this. And then yeah. I got my stool and I'll sit down like I'm in the blind and I'll shoot and I'll do all that. The one thing that I don't have is the like something where I can go and shoot from like height. Like the most that I can do shooting from height is like on the back of my truck. And even yeah. then it's still only like I mean my truck's lifted, but it's still only like, you know, six seven inches off the ground so maybe you know eight foot all together but yeah no it, it's definitely you find <laughs> all kind of different things to work on like you say you test broadheads you find new for me it's like you find new broadheads you find new ways to shoot it and now when you when it gets stale you find something else. You change the target or whatever. I think my thing yeah. now is I want to start tinkering with a back tension release. I was reading up yeah. on that, and I'm like, goodness gracious. Between between quarantine and not working and having all this time, it's just like you find stuff to start messing with. Yeah, the devil makes work for idle hands. Right, right? that's exactly, <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what it is. And I, I can just picture like a little – devil sitting on your shoulder, you know, and being like, I think you could add that quarter inch to the draw link, you know? Yeah. yeah Maybe we should shoot a back tension. Well, <laughs> and, and that's what it is. And then it's like, I got, you know, I got another, um, I got a uh, traverse and the traverse is mm -hmm. set up completely different than my, um, my halon. So I'm like, well, this draw length is too long. You know, this mm -hmm. is very clunky. And then I go back to my halon and I'm like, Okay, this feels comfortable, but then it's like, well, I want to shoot my traverse, and then I'll go and I'll shoot it, and I'm like, ah, this doesn't feel right. So I go back and forth between yeah. the two. It, 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 I mean, like I said, being a tinker in the world uh -huh. of archery, I mean, it, it's I don't know anything like it. I mean, it, it just yeah. there's no there's no rest. There's no yeah. like okay. I got it. Like you really have to force yourself to be like, okay, I got it. This is what I'm going with. Otherwise, you just sit there and you tinker all damn day. Yeah, that's. I'm going to the Total Archery Challenge at Boy Mountain, and it's uh, in August. But I have a trail shoot at Bass and Bucks here in Indiana that I'm going to be going to. And uh, if anybody listens to this, that comes up with me at that, I'll give them a sticker if they could find me. But uh, nice. Yeah, if I, uh, you know, if I'm going to that, like you were saying about your site, I go to the range and I'll shoot multiple days so i'll shoot i don't go every day i mean i i have a family and a, a life and an arrow business but um as often as i can go i'll end up going and shooting for probably five days at least uh to get my site set up because you know you go shoot 20 yards and that's going to be pretty easy uh to get something that's really close but when you start shooting uh 70 and 80 yards and things like that uh you're your sight tape can vary quite a bit depending on the humidity, the, the weather, the wind, how you're shooting, how you're holding. 
if you've eaten anything that day or you're hungry or, you know, <laughs> it <laughs> there's really, all these things. It really is. Like you don't yeah. think about like, at least I didn't, the different variables, even like when you go hunting. I mean, obviously, you know, weather and stuff like that, but it's like. Did I eat breakfast? Did I eat too much for breakfast? Like, yeah. am I am I thinking about you know getting out of the stand and going to my favorite you know like breakfast spot or lunch spot? Like, you know, yeah. am I am I focused <laughs> on the hunt or am I focused on okay, you know, it's two thirty or whatever, and I'm going to go down and get lunch and then maybe come back and sit in the afternoon. You know what I mean? Like, oh, you just yeah. don't. It's it's funny to hear you say that because you don't think about that, but all of that stuff plays a variable in, like you say, how well you're shooting, whether or not you're ready. Like, did that did that doe or that buck catch you completely off guard because you're like looking at your fantasy football team? <laughs> like, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's all oh, yeah. of those variables. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's true, man. It um, what you're wearing is even another one. You know, go shooting what you hunt with, or you're yep. going to be shooting. Then that's a big deal for sure. So but, the thing though that you said that I, I found interesting, I want to ask you about. So, you, like I said, you got the bow from TJ. You started mm-hmm. tinkering around. You got it where you where you like it. You're shooting, and then do you just wake up one day and say, "Hey, I want to go and shoot tournaments"? Like, how, did you shoot tournaments first? and then start hunting or like, was it kind of like the same time? Like what, what went off that it was like, okay, this is the next thing. Well, so I, I, like when I shoot tournaments, I shoot them mainly for fun. And I, I shoot with like my buddy Zach and uh, you know, my, my other buddy Elliot and just whoever we meet there at the, at the tournament as well. But uh, it's mainly just for fun. I mean, I, I shoot uh, a, a Botech realm SS and I have, it's basically just a hunting setup on it. I don't have a long stabilizer or a, a magnified optic or anything like that, but, uh, you know, it's, I do it for fun. And so all we're doing is betting for like a uh, spicy nuggets from Wendy's or something like that, you know, <laughs> lunch on the way home. <laughs> That's That's very, awesome. You know, I'm telling the truth on that. Specific, <laughs> That's <right>? awesome. <laughs> spicy nuggets. Or uh, pizza. Cause there's not a lot of, uh, big restaurants. So there's a very small pizza place that we'll go to and, you know, that's the bet is who has to buy the pizza afterwards. But, um, no, when I, when I got into it, um, I'm a shooter. I'm just a, a range rat, man. That's, uh, I, I live at the, the lab or the range in this case, uh, just experimenting and trying new things. That's like my, my favorite thing. Uh, I've only been hunting probably four times in my life, but wow. I've shot, yeah, I've shot hundreds of, not hundreds of individual broadheads, but a long time of shooting broadheads, just shooting at range, seeing how um, like a, a fixed blade broadhead or any fixed blade broadhead would affect the flight. Uh, what veins work best with a, a fixed blade broadhead of, of a di- couple different varieties. I shoot uh, iron wheels, love them. They, they're the best flying broadhead that, that I've shot. Um, they're mechanically speaking, they're superior to absolutely everything. Um, and they, they fly great. It's funny because I, in my tinkering last <laughs> year, I shot some of those, and I was surprised at how well a fixed blade broadhead worked without a whole lot. Because usually, if you don't want to have to fool with a lot of tuning and stuff like that, you go with a mechanical. 
Yep. Um, yeah. But like a fixed blade, and when I say mechanical, you know, I know most people know, but for those that don't, mechanical, you know, yeah. it, it's spring-loaded or it has like a rubber band, and then, you know, it opens up upon impact. Whereas a fixed blade, the blade is what it is. Sometimes it's three, sometimes it's four, sometimes it's two. It just depends. And yeah. But the iron wheels, like I, I test shot a couple of those, and I was really surprised. Like, I just put them on, didn't do anything. Matter of fact, I put them on a set of arrows I got from you, put them on, yeah. just started shooting. And it was just like, wow. It's just like there's no, you know, it's easy. Just plug and go. So I was I was very surprised by that. Yeah, they, they fly extremely well. Uh, another one that does as well, because I'm, I'm not, like, sponsored by him. I'm just friends with Bill. But uh, flick tricks fly extremely well as well. I've heard um, that. I've heard yeah, that. They're like the tried and true. And I'm not a huge uh, fan of mechanicals just because there's a lot of things that could go wrong during a deployment. Right. Uh, and if they do, they severely affect the flight of the arrow. Uh, some good ones though. I mean, Schwacker is good. If you can, my, my test for that is again, it's, I speak of it as a, as a mechanical engineer, not as a, a hunter that's put a thousand of them through an animal or anything. There's a lot of people out there that have that information, but, you know, if you're if you pick up a broadhead and you shake it and you can hear it jingling around, it's not something that I would say would be a, a mechanically uh, sound thing to be reliably deployed when it needed to be deployed. Right, right. Uh, but if you can, if you know, like a like I said, the Schwackers are really good. You can pick them up; They're, they do a good job. Uh, but the, the 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 fixed blades are ones that I think that are good, and a lot of people, like you said, are scared to shoot them because there's a, a lot of tuning they think that they have to do with their arrows. And uh, I think that in general, you should tune your arrows or tune your bow for your arrows. Get, get an arrow that's set for your bow. That's your drawing, your poundage, the bow IVO, the weight you're running in the front, all that stuff should be taken into account. And then once you get that set up, uh, then you should tune your bow to that arrow. If the arrow is set for your bow and you're going to have a correct uh, dynamic spine. Uh, again, for people that are kind of getting into it now, uh, their static spine is what is written on your arrow. So if you shoot like a 300 or a 340 or a 400, when you have two pins that are 28 inches apart, and then you put a, a about a two pound weight in the middle of them, they'll actually bend down or deflect that distance. So uh, like a 300 spine will deflect 300 thousandths or, or 0.3. So it's a uh, that's the static spine. The dynamic spine is when you, you know, you draw back with your bow, you get ready to shoot with it. And then when you, when you release that string and all that force is applied to your, your arrow, it's going to deflect as well because your, your arrow number one, doesn't want to move, but then also the, uh, the weight in the front of it or where the center of gravity is of that arrow actually doesn't want to move. And so it'll bend slightly and push that arrow out. And so you want a dynamic spine that is, soft enough to be a forgiving, a forgiving arrow, but not so rigid that it uh, makes it kind of a, an unforgiving uh, arrow that is just hard to shoot. And then you don't want it too soft to, because it would be an issue of, you know, it could be a safety issue or it could be also be a, uh, an issue of just having an inaccurate arrow. Cause you don't want that thing wobbling on the way down uh, to the, uh, to the target. And while it's wobbling, it's spinning and it's wandering. So you definitely don't want that. Uh, but again, the safety part of it is, is a big thing as well. 
the safety and then also like when you start talking about hunting the penetration because if it's wobbling and stuff like that then you're losing that that kinetic energy that's coming from the from the bow and by the time you hit that target you might not or that animal rather you might not get the uh penetration that um, absolutely that you want yeah if your if your arrow is kind of bending as it's flying and as it hits the as it hits the uh the animal it won't drive you know it won't drive into the animal and people are are saying that they see better penetration with X and Y and Z. The, the thing is, if you go back and look at probably the spine that, uh, that, you know, the, the changes that you're making to your arrow are affecting the dynamic spine, which is affecting your penetration. And you always get better tr- penetration with a heavier arrow, but you also need a, a little bit of kinetic energy to it. So to really get down in the weeds, I think we, have we left anybody behind yet? Or? <laughs> I'm still I, I'm I'm with you. I, it's, okay. it's funny. I had a question um, yeah. to that. I was thinking about just when you were sitting talking about it because the craze lately, and when I say lately, the last couple of years have been mm-hmm. the smaller diameter arrows. I've yeah. been fortunate enough. I've always shot like regular, um, like the normal diameter, whatever would be considered yeah. the standard the diameter. Yeah. 246 is like a standard. Yeah. And yeah, I've never had problems with pass throughs. Now I also think that a lot of that has to do with shot placement, um, yep. as well, but it is all, it was just always funny to me. And I'm like, well, maybe it's just because I haven't hunted long enough. Cause I haven't, I mean, I'm, I think this will be my fifth season, uh, once mm-hmm. deer season starts. So I'm thinking, well, maybe I haven't hunted enough because i see people shooting deer and they don't get pass throughs and stuff and i'm like what are you shooting like 40 pounds like what like why (laughs) why are you guys not getting you know these pass throughs and then it was just like oh well you got to shoot a smaller diameter and i'm like no i don't think that's it but you know i haven't been hunting that long so maybe i don't know so what what i'm curious though what's your take on that yeah so a, a smaller diameter arrow i think that you you know there are advantages to it i I end up building a lot with the, the the small diameter, but not the micro diameter. So a standard diameter arrow, like a, a gold tip hunter or velocity is, uh, it's 246, 0.246 is the ID of that, uh, that arrow. And then, uh, oops, sorry. <laughs> the, uh, yeah, the kids are watching a movie up there. Um, so the, the 246 is the standard diameter of an arrow. And then uh, 0.204 is a, a small diameter arrow and that would be an, an example that would be like an Easton axis or the black Eagle rampages, which you have. Right. Um, and I really like those. And then the, again, there's the micro diameter. So the, the micro diameter has advantages, uh, with wind drift. Um, it also has advantage with penetration because if you put a small diameter, uh, broadhead on there. So you, you've shrunk everything down and you definitely get better penetration, but something that people, I don't think it's obvious, but it, I don't think people pay attention. It pay attention to it as much as they should. It's just the cutting force of the broadhead. So, um, for instance, you know, you talk about something with like a 40 pound bow and it's like, yeah, you, you can shoot things with a 40 pound bow, but never shoot a mechanical with a 40 pound bow because the energy that it takes to open that thing up is incredible, especially like, you know, inside an animal and that thing has to open up and you're going to dump all that energy after it penetrates. So you'll get a hole in the middle or an entry hole 
it'll open up and basically like a parachute stop. Right. And you need that, that penetration all the way through. So, you know, that's why you shoot a, a fixed blade broadhead with a, a lower poundage or a shorter draw or, you know, a combination of the two. But the, the micro diameter, there's a lot of talk about wind drift with them. I, d- I honestly don't have a ton of experience with micro diameter arrows. Um, and the reason for that is just because with the, the 204 diameter arrows, the rampages and uh, axis, uh, Victory makes a few uh, 204s, um, you get a wide range of inserts available for it. It's real easy to add weight to it or find, you know, a bunch of different types of inserts for them. The other thing that you get is, again, we're going to get in the weeds a little bit here, but the the static spine of something. So when you, you put that weight on there, there's two things that are, are resisting that force, uh, the geometry of the arrow and the wall of the arrow. And so like, like a I-beam, a really tall I-beam is really strong. So you don't need much of the material there. And a standard diameter arrow is a tall I-beam. Mm. So you have a thin wall on it. And then when you go to a 204, you have a little bit thicker wall. And then when you go to the, the 165 or 166s, you have an even thicker wall. Um, but the reason I don't like the, the micro diameter is because, you know, you have to do a few things with inserts that don't fit a lot of broadheads. And it's kind of a, you have to commit to the deep six kind mm, of, uh, right. Lifestyle is, there. <laughs> yep. Yep. They kind of like the patent, the, um, the patented insert, like for Eastern arrows. And then when you, the inserts, like you got to have that insert in there, um, before you can actually get that broadhead in there and get it to stick. So when you start, like you said, once you start dealing with micro diameter, you, you basically, you're limiting your options. Yeah. 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 And I mean, there's, there's inserts out there available. Uh, I know, um, Easton has for like for their injections, they have a, an outsert system for it, but then you have a small part that goes in the arrow and then all of the weight, like all of the weight is outside of it. So the, the, everything, you know, there's nothing from the field point or the broadhead that goes into the arrow. So you're, I just, I know it works and everything, but they're, they cost a little bit more. And I think that you get a really good arrow with the, with the 204s. And like I, most of my builds, if you watch my Instagram page or anything, they're, they're either Eastern Axis or Black Eagle Rampage. And I've yeah. just seen really, really, really good results with both of those. Yeah. Um, not I not only check like the, the static spines to make sure, you know, if it says 300 on the arrow, does it actually read 300? I have my own spine gauge. And so I check that and then I check uh, the consistency. So through a set of arrows, I check them to see how consistent they are one to the next. And then I also check the circumference to make sure that the, it's a good consistent spine around it. And Black Eagle and Easton both do a, a really good job with that. Uh, so yeah, no. I, I think you get all you need with a 204. Well, and then the thing, the, the ultimate test, you know, for those of us that hunt, I mean, like I put one mm-hmm. through a doe last year and like I said, no problems, you know, mm-hmm. it, it flies straight, you know, it durable, you know, it's all get out. Like, you know, you go and pick it up and you don't have to worry about it, you know, being broken or cracked or anything like that. Even if it hit like a rib or something like that on the way through, you know, that mm-hmm. arrow still, it, you know, that arrow still good to go. 
So, I mean, yeah. at, at the end of the day, that's your, you know, that's your ultimate test right there. You know, it flies sure. straight, hits your target where you want it to go. So no, com- yeah. uh, no complaints there. <laughs> yeah. And I bang these things up bad. I mean, I, I bang arrows all the time. And so uh, <laughs> that's my durability test is just how many can I slam together and, and not have any issues. I run pins in the back of my personal arrows because I got a wall full of uh, shot up arrows, man. It's, it's funny because like 80% of my shots are either nine yards or a hundred yards because nine yards is in my garage where I can still do a lot of testing mm-hmm. uh, with veins, but um, I shoot out to a hundred yards. And so it's usually one or the other, unless I'm getting ready for uh, again, a, another tournament, win some, some lunch or something. Uh, I'll shoot a lot of 35 because that seems, 35 seems to be my, like my area where I'm just, I'm good at 40. I'm good at 30. 35 is just my Achilles heel, but mm. yeah. Yeah. See, and that's the thing too, because you know, and I know there are a lot of different philosophies and people, who, you know, they'll do a lot of different things. But the thing that I've always loved, and I've said it a million times, the thing that I love about bow hunting is, you know, the closeness, being able to be close to that animal and being able to shoot that animal at a close distance. So whether it's your hog, your turkey, deer, you know, 15, 20 yards, maybe 25 um, but, you know, there are a lot of guys that take animals, you know, 40, 50, 60 yards and, mm-hmm. you know, more power to them. But, you know, it's funny just listening to you talk, you know, you say, you know, you're good at 20, good at 25, 30, you're good. 35 is where you start getting kind of eh. And I can relate to that because it's like, you know, 15 to 20, I am deadly. I am surgical. Yeah. But once you start, you know, 25, I'm still good. I'm confident. 30, you know, if I had to take a shot, at 30 in a tree stand or sitting on a uh sitting on a blind i could take it's funny because i could take it at a deer i wouldn't do it at a hog or a turkey not from 30 but yeah once you get into that 33 35 on out then it's just kind of like okay this ain't hitting his way as well as i want it to and that's something that i've been trying to work on a little bit more because i have to go across the street to get 40 and so <laughs> I try yeah. not to, you know, even though there's an empty lot, but still, you know, that it, that <laughs> range, you know, in, in that range, like you say, you get about 35 and it's just kind of like, uh, and I don't even know if I want to shoot a, a animal, you know, a 35, 40, but then, you know, you low light and you get that buck that you've been waiting on and that's your only shot. Then you want to make sure you're proficient. Yeah, for sure. It, yeah. It's weird because, when I get to 40, I'm still good and 40 out, I'm still comfortable, but it's something about that switch from short range to long range. That gray area right in the middle for me is, is weird. I don't know. Are, but, are you a group guy or are you like, cause like I'll shoot, obviously shoot the groups and stuff when I'm trying to get tuned in and get everything going. But when I start practicing, I'm one arrow at a time because 90% of the time I'm shooting at either a 3D animal or like a, a plastic, you know, picture of, you know, an animal or whatever. So I'm always yeah. practicing like on animals, not so much, you know, target archery. Yeah. Um, are you so are you a more of a, a group guy or you kind of go in between or what? I'm more of a group guy. So I sh- but I don't shoot uh, out to about until I get to about 40 yards, I don't shoot the same spot just because 
it gets expensive quick. And I, yes. I bring some, <laughs> you know, I got some, <laughs> yes. I have some fluorescent orange duct tape that I bring with me to the range and, and leave up there. Uh, so everybody could shoot them, but, uh, yeah, I put different dots on there and then I'll, I'll shoot those. But, you know, I, I really, especially when I'm shooting my garage nine yards, if I'm, if I'm working on my form and everything like that to, to really get proficient, I basically just tear uh, a piece of tape that's about the size of my thumbnail and put it up there. So it's about the diameter of my, of my arrow, but I'm shooting nine yards, but I'm still holding like I'm shooting, you know, 80 yards, basically. That's the size of the target at that distance. Mm. And so, you know, there's, there's ways you can kind of play with your, your mind to think you're shooting further than you are, but yeah, it's, it's crazy. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, that, but that's the beauty of it because there are mm-hmm. so many different ways. Cause it's funny. Like when I talk to people and they're like, well, how did you learn to shoot a bow? Like I'm pretty much self-taught. Like I literally, when yeah. I decided that I wanted to learn how to shoot a bow, I went to a class. It was 20 bucks. I went for like an hour and we shot traditional bows and the guy, he was really nice. It was probably like 10 or 12 of us in that class. The guy was really nice, but he just kept complaining the entire time that nobody wants to learn how to shoot traditional archery. Everybody wants to go and grab a compound bow and take the easy way out. And after an hour of shooting the traditional bow, I was like, yes, that's me. Sign me up for the easy way out. I'm going to buy a compound bow. Like I literally, I just took that class just to see, because like you said, I hadn't had any kind of experience or done anything with it since, you know, like we were kids or whatever. So I was just like, okay, is this something that I can do? And after probably about six or seven shots, I was like, oh, yeah, I can do this. Because I had been reading up on compound bows. I knew about sights and stuff. But when you when you hand me just a bare stick and string, then, yeah, it's a, you know, it, there's a little bit more to it. And, and to me, in my opinion, for, like, repetition, it's not as fun. But I knew yeah. what a compound bow was. And so I was just like, let me just get through this and just make sure I'm good. And it's like, yep. I'm good. I went to the Bass Pro Shop the next day and I bought my first bow. And like I said, five years later, here I am. So. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, the, the struggle stick isn't where I wanted to be either. I mean, I, I like I said, I was shooting. <laughs> struggle stick. I like that. <laughs> uh, I mean, the guys like Aaron Snyder and that go out and get that done, it's crazy respect to those guys, man, because that's a lot of time behind the string. Oh, it's remarkable. But, it's just not for yeah. me. Yeah, exactly. That's like people that climb Everest. I'm like, that is incredible. I'm going to go have a beer. <laughs> right. Like that, that, right. That's just, you know, that that's just not my bag. I mean, you know, yeah. I'm not knocking them by any stretch. I mean, it does. Sure, it takes yeah. it takes a lot of skill. And then, you know, with like you said, with family and kids and stuff, compound bows just lends itself more because, God forbid, if something happens and you can't shoot for a month or whatever, you can pretty much go and pick back up where you left off after about 20, 30 minutes or so, depending, you know, on your, you know, aptitude or whatever. But yeah. with a traditional bow, or as you call it, the struggle stick, <laughs> if you put that thing down from a month, you might as well be starting from scratch. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think, you know, you you mentioned that uh, shooting an animal with a bow is, is a lot more intimate and you, I feel like you, you put in the work that, is required for it. I'm not knocking anybody that shoots with a gun at all, but it just, uh, for me, that, that is something that I want to make sure that I, I climb enough of a hill in order to, to take that, 
that animal's life, you know? Well, and you did that, which is a perfect segue. Yeah. You 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 uh you might have a, a future in this uh media thing here too, Kyle. I <laughs> <laughs> it, it's a perfect segue into the velvet buck that you took last year. How did that go down? Yeah, well, I, I didn't mean to, to walk right into it, but I was going to push you into it if I had to. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm friends with, uh, like I said, with my buddy TJ, uh, TJ Eads, and then another one of my buddies, uh, Josh Dutton. He has some property. He lives in Wisconsin. And his parents have some property up there. And so uh, we got the opportunity to go up there last September, and uh, we'll be going again this September. Uh, if he listens to this, just let him know we're coming back. Nice. Um, it's already planned. We're already doing it. It was too much fun. But, yeah, I get, got to go up there. Um, and, you know, I, I like I said, I shoot a lot of 3D. I shoot my garage, which when I do that, I'm shooting over two hoods of two cars. And wow. I – that's... I mountain bike too. And so my mountain bike is just to the left of my target. And then there's a window also to the left of my target. That's, and so that's pretty courageous friend. I, <laughs> but I, I didn't start off shooting that way. Like I started off, I'd move everything out of my garage. I'd put the target there and I'd be like five feet from it. And then, you know, you do that for a while and then you're, you're super comfortable with it. And then you, you step back and you're more and more and more. And then you're like, I don't even move the car this time. And so you shoot and then, I mean, I'll shoot from inside my house, through the door, across two hoods of the car, just to the right of my bike, just to the right of a window at a target. But the whole time that I'm drawing and everything, um, the arrow's always pointed at that target. Obviously, things could go wrong that uh, that would send it somewhere I don't want it to, but nobody would get hurt except me when my wife found out she would kill me. But <laughs> right. so far, you know, knock on wood, I'm good. But you know, with that deer that I, that I had an opportunity with, um, uh, me and my buddy, Josh, he was just above me in a tree, uh, stand and kind of spotting for me. We were sitting there and TJ had just dropped a huge doe and he was probably a mile into the woods by himself. And it was getting late. And I, you know, we'd been talking a little more casually. We weren't as quiet and everything. And then, uh, I turn around and, um, talking to him we're still whispering and everything and i was like you know you sh we should probably go help tj with that this kind of looks like a bust and he was like yeah he's like uh maybe we'll deer and he just stopped and he was just dead stare at it and i'm facing the wrong direction and i'm looking at his eyes and his eyes are just huge and i was like oh i gotta get it around and so i i tell him i said uh buck and he said buck i said can i, can I turn around so I slowly turn around and a deer is coming down. A buck is coming down through the woods. Uh, and it wasn't the oldest buck in the woods by any stretch of the imagination, but it was a velvet buck. I, according to Josh, it was the only velvet buck ever taken in Wisconsin in September or something. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah. I don't know if that's true or not. He might just be making me feel better. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> So it was it was coming down and I'd ranged a few, you know, parts of the woods so I knew about where I needed to be. It was coming down through and uh I brought my bow up and he said uh he said, No, no, not yet, not yet. And I was like so I still had it up but I didn't I hadn't drawn back yet. But I had seen this little window in the woods in the trees there, and it was about the size of a car window. And uh I was 
I knew in my mind how far that was. And if he got to that point, that's when I was going to make the shot. And so again, like five seconds after he told me to wait, he just heard the arrow, you know, slide back on the rest. And uh, he, he told me later, he was like, I knew that anything that I said would stop you at that point. He said, you're going to kill that buck. <laughs> and it, it, it took a step into that, again, that car size window that I was wanting it to had a lock on it. And in my mind, I was like, if he hesitates at all, I know I'll get it. And he took a step, stepped right into it, uh, picked his head up, turned around and I let it fly. And uh, it, the shot was a little high and he dropped a little bit, but my shot was probably more high than him dropping spined him. He dropped right there on the spot. And then, um, uh, I, he was moving around and then he stopped and then he started moving again. And Josh was like, get another one. So I already had another arrow knocked. I'd already ranged him. And then when he started moving around again, threw back uh, shot while he was laying down again, through the car window, he was completely laying down straight through him though. Uh, and completely, you know, from the time that I hit him the first time to the time he was completely gone was less than a minute. So a, a pretty ethical kill, uh, and he was about 30 yards out. So Josh was like, I can't believe you got him from that far and through that window, but I shoot my garage. And so I'm, I'm used to shooting in confined places. It doesn't bother me, you know, to shoot through small windows and shooting 3d and around trees and things like that. It, it's just what I was used to, but man, it was a, it was an amazing hunt. It was great hanging out with my buddies and being in a hunting camp and then, uh, to actually, you know, seal the deal and, and get a buck, especially in velvet was just incredible. So, yeah, that I mean, and that's, that's the, the thing, like all the things that you mentioned, you know, being in camp with your, with your buddies, um, mm-hmm. and then, but obviously taking a velvet buck i mean you know a lot of people they go to kentucky every year to try to knock down those velvet bucks man that that is definitely uh a trophy of a lifetime did you get it uh get it mounted and everything no i didn't that one um but i did uh you know i I obviously kept the antlers and everything like that and uh made some insanely good backstrap uh fajitas that were (laughs) insane So yes. yeah, it, yes. He did not go to waste, that's for sure. But it was a a great hunt, like you said, just being out there. And I think, you know, like my day job is a desk job, and it's an inside job, and it's a painful inside job. You know, cubicle or meetings, and not a ton of windows, and it's just not the way that I revive myself. And so to get out there in the woods, to be with my friends, and you know, be outdoors is is where I'd love to be. I mean, like I said, I'd love to be at the range. I love to shoot 3d with my buddies. Uh, that's just, that's what, uh, recharges my soul. I think so. Now have going forward, you know, like you said, being, you know, being out at the range, being outside, those are things that you love, obviously building these arrows. Do you see yourself trying to make a transition into doing that full time? Uh, I get that question more i get it probably three or four times a day honestly (laughs) uh i would love to it's uh right now it's still a side job uh it's a lot to be able to you know there's a lot of things like insurance and oh yeah that kind of stuff that you have to roll into the account definitely Um, i still love my day job it's uh it's rewarding and uh, i work with a lot of good people so it's tough but man you know the 
the times when I take a day off or something like that, I'll take a day off and just work on aero stuff. Um, and those are good days. You know, it's just, it's fun to do that. And if I could make uh, enough money doing arrows, I, I probably would. Uh, but it's not in the cards right now. So yeah, we'll no, I, I, I totally get it, man. I mean, I, I'm freelance independent contractor for, you know, five or six years before I took yeah. uh, the job that I got now. So I totally understand, you know, like the insurance and stability, you know, for the family. But there, like you said, uh -huh. there are days where, you know, I'll do this. And especially, you know, with, um, you know, with sports and everything kind of coming to a grinding halt right now and having a lot of yeah. time on my hands, you know, I'll sit and I'll just start thinking about, you know, like if I could do podcasts and media and, and could make it profitable, you know, it's not a bad way to make a living. And then I can go hunt when I want to and, you know, things like that. So you, you definitely, you know, you think about it. But then, you know, like I said, us guys with families and stuff, we have to be practical. Mm -hmm. You know, eventually yeah. eventually you wake up out of that daydream. Yes, exactly. And I'm, I'm 40, 43. I'd actually think about it. I'm too old. <laughs> uh, I'm 43 now. And, you know, I got uh, an 8-year-old and 11-year-old and a wife and all that stuff. So yeah, if I was young and, uh, no family or anything like that, I probably would give it a shot just to roll the dice, see how it goes. But, uh, I'd be gambling with more than just my life right now. So yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like I said, that one, you know, once the practicalness and the reality kicks in, you know, that, you know, people, I don't know about you, but I know me, you know, people get on me about, you know, Hey, you just don't let it go. It's like, well, you just can't go out here nose diving into stuff. Like you gotta, you know, think it through. And the reality of certain things is, you know, you gotta take care of business. And then some things just aren't practical. So you gotta yeah, think exactly. it through. So yeah. And and there's a thing where, like, you know, I I put a ton of work into these arrows. I mean, a ton of of work into them and thought. And uh, every time I make a set of arrows, I look at every arrow and imagine that this is the one that, that who I'm making these for is going to take it out of the case. This is the one he's going to look at or she's going to look at. And this is the one they're going to show their friends. And I want them to be proud of them. And I want them to be uh, really uh, overjoyed with when, when they get them. I mean, it's, I mean, I'm, like I said, I'm 43 and Christmas doesn't really, you know, if, if I need something, I get it. And, you know, I, it's, I love seeing my family and that's about what Christmas is for me now. But right. I think of this, now, like when, when, uh, when I build a set for somebody, I, you know, they know the raft that they're getting. We, we talk about that. We go through all that. They see a, a, a proof of it and all that stuff. But when they get the arrows and they take them out of the case and I get like the, the text message that just is like, these are awesome, all capitalized, you know, and just, you know, some crazy emoji or string of emojis. And then they're, you know, they just go on about them. That's why I do this is, so that, you know, somebody that is 43 like me or, you know, that's past getting that, that favorite Christmas present, when they open it up, that they get that, that same joy that they got when they were nine years old and they opened up their favorite toy. So it's, again, it's, it's somebody's hobby. It's what they love to do. And I just think in the world today that people get over-promised and under-delivered. You know, they, they see something, they buy it, they get it home, and it doesn't work exactly like they thought. And it, right. Yeah. Right. But man, when you, <laughs> I want people to get something that they're that they feel that like they've been, uh, like I said, under promised and over delivered. Just get them and just be like, "Whoa, these are amazing!" 
that's what I'm striving for. So yeah, dude. that's the other problem too, going full time on it. This, it takes a long time to do this. So a lot of, uh, discussion up front and the building is actually the fairly quick part, but the discussions and working on the, the setups and working on the wraps and that's the part that takes a while. So it, it's hard to do, you know, I can't just turn a knob and make more of them kind of situation. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. You, it's not a, not a, a machine to process, you know, they're, they are hand built, they're customized. So, I mean, and then when you start dealing with that, you know, that that's nothing but time, but the, the reward and the final product is well worth it. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Behind me on my wall in my office, I have a, uh, it's a picture and it's a guy that had just painted a, uh, a race car. It's blue. It's like an old, you know, roadster race car. I'm in Indianapolis. So there you go. But, uh, he just painted this thing and it's him standing there. It's like the 1950s and he's holding his paintbrush still and he's stepping back, looking at this, uh, picture of this or this race car that he's just painted and it's perfect and it's done. And he's the first one to see it. And that's always been kind of the way I feel when I get done with these things. Cause like I said, I finish them up midnight or one o'clock in the morning. And, uh, you know, I, I just love looking at these things and thinking of, you know, this is going to make somebody's day. This is going to be awesome for him. And then, I'm happy to be a small part of that, to be Santa Claus. <laughs> <laughs> well, when you open them up, they're definitely, there's definitely an awe factor to them. So I, I'm looking forward to uh, to getting started on another set that I'll be using uh, for this season coming up. I um, The ones that I have, I've put them through their paces, whether it be the <laughs> ones that I use for hunting or the ones that I use for target practice because I practice, you know, obviously practice with the ones. Um, well, not with the ones that I hunt with, but, you know, the other, the other set that uh, I'm not hunting with, I use them to practice. And mm-hmm. let me tell you, they, they don't look as shiny and awe-inspiring <laughs> as they do when you first open up. I think the next set I might have to take and, like, keep as, like, a keepsake or whatever and then, <laughs> and then beat up the other ones. But, uh, so, but Kyle, yeah. I really appreciate it, man. Thank you for coming on and dropping mm-hmm. some 411, dropping some knowledge on us. Let people know, man, where they can go when they want to get some kick-ass arrows and just learn, you know, more about arrow building and stuff like that. Sure. Yeah, uh, my site is a, a good reference for it. If you want to see a lot of my work, then Instagram is a great place to just check out what I'm doing, uh, com. Um, and then again, Instagram, DCA custom arrows. And then my website is, uh, DCA custom arrows.com. There's also, we talked just briefly about tuning, but there's a whole tuning section on my website. Um, and it's all out there for free. This is all just information that I've again, gathered and, uh, seen the same thing pop up over and over, tested myself and yeah, that works. And so I've just put all that information that I could in there. It's how to bear shaft tune. It's how to paper tune what you need to turn, um, all that kind of stuff is on there. Uh, and it's important, even if you're not the one doing it, um, understand what needs to happen to your bow and then take it to your bow shop to, to not just to make sure that they're doing what they're supposed to, but also to have some, some knowledge behind it. So you understand what's going on. Uh, I think that's important. So yeah, uh, the website, DCA and then Instagram DCA customeros uh, out there. So, 
That's not the only two on that. No, it, but, you know, I look at it. It's like, you know, going to the doctor. No, you're not going to tell the doctor what to do, but the more understanding that you have of what's going on, the better questions you can ask, and just the better chances are that you're going to leave with what exactly you want. Yeah, exactly. And, I mean, there's there's things you could do, small things you could do, like tuning, uh, move your rest, uh, things like that. And it, it even tells you, you know, move it this way about the thickness of a dime, small measurements. It's, I try to keep it as basic as I can, but there's a lot on there, uh, but it, it's all free. Print it out, go in your range bag and uh, use it, man. That's that's what it's there for. So, oh, yep. man. man, like I said, Kyle, I appreciate it. We'll get you uh, to come back through uh, later on, maybe once you get out and uh, get some more hunts under your belt this season, man. Absolutely. I look forward to it. Yeah, I can't wait to get back out there. Awesome. Thank you, brother. Thank you. Brightland. Once again, I want to thank Kyle for coming on, taking some time out of his very busy schedule uh, to come through on the Bryantland show and bless us with his knowledge of arrow building. Um, I really enjoyed finally getting the chance just to talk to him for a long extended period of time. We have conversations, you know, real quick conversations back and forth, just talking about, you know, arrows and creative designs and things like that. But it's really good to just sit down and chop it up with them. So I hope you guys enjoyed that as much as I did. As I get ready to get up on out of here, I just want to hit y'all with a couple of quick things. Bryantlandcountry.com is our website. Make sure you are checking that out. We have all of our past podcasts on there. We have videos that we've made on there uh, as well as our merchandise. So Bryantlandcountry.com, one-stop shopping for everything Bryantland. We also have a link to our Patreon page, which is the best way that you can support the Bryantland show. Pick up some extra bonus content that we've put on that Patreon page, uh, patreon.com forward slash Bryantland or the Patreon tab on the bryantlandcountry.com website. You can, like I said, take advantage of the bonus content that we are putting on that Patreon page. As always, I want to thank you for your reviews. Thank you for your five-star ratings. Uh, I noticed uh, within the last couple of months, I've picked up some uh, five-star ratings and some great reviews, uh, guys that are just loving the podcast. I really appreciate it. Thank you for supporting us. Uh, just continue to do so. And then, man, like I said, we're just happy to be able to still bring you the content that you look forward to hearing every week here on the Bryantland Show. All right, I'm going to go ahead and get up on out of here. You guys have a great one. Make sure you come back next week for another episode of the Bryantland Show.